Welcome back to the Ordinary Pastor Podcast. I'm John Payne, uh, pastor in Psalm Grace here with my friend Jared Mellinger, also a pastor in Psalm Grace. We served together on the Psalm Grace leadership team. And we've been talking in recent episodes about what we're calling shaping virtues. Um, they, They really are character traits that flow out of the gospel that are a result of our belief in Jesus Christ. They're things that the New Testament certainly emphasizes. Um, they're, they're not an exhaustive list, but they are things that have been true of Sovereign Grace historically that we, as young leaders in Sovereign Grace especially, I think we, we really want these to be true of us as we look into the future. We, we want to hand these down to the third generation of Sovereign Grace, being two second generation guys. We, we want to see these true uh, in our churches for decades and decades to come as long as the Lord should preserve our, our little family of churches. So um, we've talked about a number of traits, and right now we want to talk about generosity. Uh, so we always start uh, these discussions just by doing a, a brief survey of why why have we emphasized this particular trait um, in terms of where we see it in the Scripture. So, Jared, where, where would you say we see this as an important virtue? Biblically, how does it flow out of the gospel? Why, why do we see this as a... A scriptural truth we want to emphasize. Yes, it's great to be together, John, and uh, eager to talk about generosity with you and with those who are listening. Generosity, <laughs> there's a sense in which the whole of scripture cannot be understood apart from understanding generosity as God being the generous God who creates and who saves um, in order as an expression of the overflow of his kindness. Uh, So God is the God who owns it all. Psalm 50, verse 10, every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. God, God owns it all. And he is the one who is the giver of every good and perfect gift. He delights to give. And no gift has been given than is greater than the gift of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, given to us for our salvation. The, The giving of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, that that God would send his son into this world is an act of cosmic generosity. The world has never known greater generosity than that moment. It's a sense where all of the the giving and kindness and generosity of God throughout salvation history is leading to that moment of the overflow of God's grace and kindness at the cross of Christ toward undeserving yes. sinners. You know, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave. Love right. finds expression in giving. In, in the overflow of, of kindness. And, and we are the beneficiaries of God's generosity. This is true of each one of us. He is a, he is a generous king who delights to, to give. He showers us with kindness and mercy. We're on the receiving end of that. And as those who are the recipients of generosity, we now have every reason and motivation to be generous with all that he has entrusted to us as stewards, which is Mm. everything that we have. Any time, any money, any gifts, all of it 
belongs to the Lord, has been entrusted to us for the sake of his people and his mission, and is to be used generously, giving, giving joyfully, giving freely, um, you know, knowing that God loves a cheerful giver. I mean, the, in, the, yeah. in the New Testament, one of the places that we see this theme of giving loud and clear is in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, those chapters on, on generous giving. And I have just loved the and been so inspired by the churches of Macedonia, where in the midst of their affliction, there's this abundance of joy uh, that leads to an, a wealth of generosity on the on their part, and God looks at that and He commends it. and uh, And in chapter nine of Second Corinthians, we're told that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully, uh, and that God loves a a cheerful giver. So He intends for His people, His church to be a, a generous community that is reflecting his own generosity in the gospel. Yes. Amen. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about the, <laughs> the fact that we're, we're given um, different types of things to be generous with. Um, you think about the, the pattern in the new Testament of, of the generosity of sending people that you love and treasure. So I, I, I love the story of the Philippian church because of its heritage um, in sacrificial giving and receiving even before they were founded. So, you know, the Jerusalem church is founded and then they, they hear about, uh, you know, the work of the Lord in Antioch and then they send Barnabas, this delightful leader to serve them, which means they had to give him up. So that they're generous. They, they don't send, you know, say somebody who's brand new to the faith or someone who's, who's not, you know, a cherished historic leader for them. They, they send this you know person that's hard to send. And so they're generous in that way. And then the Antioch church, you know, there's that great moment where they're praying. And then the Lord says, set apart for me, Barnabas and Paul, which if, if there ever took, generosity and in, in sending individuals, this was the moment and to send Barnabas and Paul, all of your leaders, mm-hmm. your most historic, you know, Jerusalem sent leader and Barnabas and then Paul himself. And, and they're, they're sending as far as we know, they're virtually never there for an extended time uh, pastoring again. So they're, they're just gone. <laughs> they're gone serving the Lord. And then here they come to, and they plant obviously the Philippians church. And then the Philippians send, you know, this gift to support Paul, to serve other churches. So, so there is, there is in the New Testament, this kind of partnership of generosity and the other side of generosity obviously is sacrifice. You know, we, it, it doesn't, the New Testament doesn't seem to speak of generosity as something that you give in a way that you wouldn't have noticed it if you still had it. <laughs> it's more that you give in a way that you feel deeply. You're, you're so eager to bless someone else that you're willing to go without in order to bless them, that you're delighted yes. that they should experience provision and abundance, even if that means you experience you know, a, a certain lack and need. And there is a... Um, a joy, I think that that even I think there's such a grace in generosity that it's even present at times in the common grace of, of the world. Even the world can appreciate 
generosity at times, you know, someone that truly sacrifices to bless someone else. How much more someone who really knows the God who created the world, as you said, who sent his own son, who gave himself to pay for sinners and to rescue us and poured out on us every spiritual blessing in Christ. Mm -hmm. Those who know the father who chased after the prodigal and placed a ring on his finger and a robe on his back and cast the feast for him and prepared this delightful treasured home for us that we look forward to in heaven. We ought to be generous people. We ought to love taking what we have and showering it on others. Um, so let's, we agree on this, obviously. So we're just preaching to each other about yes. this value, but let's, let's talk a little bit about what, what are some, some ways practically that a pastor can cultivate this. If he affirms this as a general trait that he, he agrees with, what are some practical ways he can cultivate this in himself and the life of his church? And maybe what are some ways that, um, at times, um, fears or anxieties can keep a, a pastor from emphasizing generosity um, in the life of his church. How, how do you see you know, leadership in this category working out? Yeah, pastors and Christians need to think deeply and biblically about money in particular and need to be willing, and pastors need to be willing to talk about money is one of the things that that comes to mind. And especially when you talk about a, a what can make uh, pastors and leaders reluctant or fearful in talking about generosity. Um, well, it, it could easily be received by others as pastors are wanting people to give to the church so that they can be compensated and uh you know this kind of thinking it's a whole what we need to help people understand is that giving is not something that leaders want from people giving is something that god wants for people meaning it it doesn't exist it doesn't have pastors primarily in view and it's not um and it's not for the the benefit of the pastor. It has God in view, and it's for the benefit of the giver and for the yes. for the glory of God. But I do th- I find that it is often the case with uh, Christians that are thinking about money and possessions can be uh, fundamentally uh, muddied and flawed. And so there is a need for a biblical understanding of what the Bible says and, and for the pastor to have that and for the pastor to equip people in that. You know, the Bible does not view uh, material poverty as a, as a fundamental good. There are blessings in money and possessions, and yet there are also great dangers in money and possessions. These principles of stewardship, the principles that God uh, owns it all, the, the idea that when we are redeemed in Christ, that that fundamentally changes our priorities in how we think about and handle our money. Christians need yes. to be taught in that. The handling of money is an area, and I'm focusing specifically on money because that can be what we are most reluctant to talk about, but we don't see that reluctance reflected in scripture. Um, yes. Because money is the great indicator of, uh, of where our hearts are and, and of, our, of our generosity. Um, 
it so we need to overcome the reluctance to talk about money and to and to disciple believers in a biblical understanding and practice of the stewardship of their uh, of their finances. I remember on a personal level reading a uh, a particular book on that was a biblical theology of uh, of of money and possessions and in the conclusion of the book the author just said i'm going to do something that is uh perhaps you know uh could be misunderstood but i want to talk about my own practice and what god has done in my uh Mm. life in this area which is actually something randy alcorn would affirm he says that like money is this area that we've cut off from fellowship and we tend to not talk with others about uh how god has led us into generosity or where challenges to selfishness may, you know, may be there. But I remember personally being greatly challenged as that, as a, as a particular author was sharing, uh, his own practice of giving 30% of his income and how with, as their income has increased, they've looked to increase their percentage of, of, of giving. And, uh, and now he says he's not impressed by that because he knows a group of Christians who regularly meet together who are giving 50% of their income away. And, uh, mm-hmm. and we in America have such an abundance of riches, um, and, and, and those in the West and, and, um, you know, so it may be that there are some listening to this or in a, in a, uh, much more impoverished area, but for those in the states, oh, we have an abundance of riches, and that ought to be reflected in our giving. But so I just remember God working in my own life, convicting me, uh, yes. challenging me, and just remember that was, I realized, okay, I, you know, I I do really believe that ten percent is the training wheels and starting point of giving, and as a leader, I want to be called to to more than that uh, in my own personal practice. Yeah, excellent. I, I I am struck by how um, you mentioned it earlier, but just the warnings of, of about money in Scripture that that we um, we do need to be sobered by, and and yet it's not as though it's just a negative thing. Don't touch this, you know. <laughs> it, it's actually given this yes. positive protection. Uh, for the soul, it, it reminds me similarly of gratitude, where it it it's a delightful thing to do that is simultaneously guarding you from so many dangerous things. You know, yes. giving guards you from discontentment. It guards you from complaining. It guards you from grumbling about what you. It it, it just forces you, and ultimately, and, and Alcorn obviously does this fantastically. It forces you to keep your heart set on eternity and the treasures we have in heaven, yes. the endless delights we'll have with Christ the treasures that cannot fade or spoil, and it forces you to, to believe what the Lord Jesus says as being actually true, that if you try to keep your treasures on earth, you will eventually lose them anyway. But yeah. if you invest them in eternity, there is an endless treasure waiting for you uh, because you have entrusted yourself wholly to the Lord. Um, I, I was, we've been preaching through Mark as a church and I was just struck by so many statements that Jesus makes about t- discipleship in general that have that kind of, if you do this, you're going to lose it anyway, but you're called to live, you know, in this other way towards me. And I was saying to my church, I, I think the danger is not that we don't understand Jesus words logically. I think we get mm-hmm. logically that when you die, you lose everything you own anyway, and therefore it's better. I I think the logic, I think some part of us thinks there's a third way, 
some part of us thinks there's a third way that says, well, can't I choose I'll be moderate towards the Lord and others, and therefore the Lord will be moderate towards me. I prefer a sort of moderate investment portfolio, mm. um, not too risky and not too cautious, but sort of moderate. I want to give moderately and then I'll receive moderately and I'm okay with that. And I think what we don't appreciate is the Lord doesn't give that option. <laughs> he doesn't give the <laughs> option of, if, if you give some, yeah. you'll get some and you get to keep some. And um, he calls us, the point of some of those passages, give in light of the endless future treasure that is in store yes. for you in him. And I, I think we need to call ourselves to this. I think we need to call our churches to this. I think churches need to view themselves um, or evaluate themselves in this category. Like you and I have talked a lot about the danger of churches that are not generous um, yes. outside of their own ministries and needs. I think a church can easily become self-centered, self-focused, introspective, I, I've yes. never been in a church, served a church, led a church where there wasn't other things we could do locally. With more, I don't care if you're brand new in the middle of a building fund or trying to hire that you know second staff member. There's always more stuff you could do locally. Uh, it doesn't matter if your budget is you know thirty thousand dollars a year or a million dollars a year. You, you always could come up with another use. For that money, but churches, I believe churches are not mature and healthy unless they are sacrificially generous towards other churches and needs of the kingdom outside of themselves. I don't think this, you never reach a point as a church where you have so much extra that you just feel like, well, I guess we'll throw some money. There's always more things you could do. And, and the reality is I find that if a church is generous in, in its small days, it will be generous in larger days. And if it is reluctant to be generous in small days, they will never reach a day where they find it easier to be generous. Um, so yeah. I would want to challenge myself, my church, our churches, that, that we not only be generous personally, calling our people to be generous, but that our churches be generous. We'd be looking for ways to so yes. invest sacrificially, generously, because that's what the Lord has done with us. And, and I have just found the Lord provides and provides an endless stream of delights when you generously sow money and people and time to bless people and, and ministries and churches that are outside of you, that you are not the direct beneficiary of. Um, I, I, I just think there's just an endless amount of joy that the Lord just holds out for us in terms of his provision. I mean, Paul says to the Philippians, he will provide every yes. need. Of <laughs> and I, I think we, we want to believe that and give in light of that promise. Yes. And part of why God invites us into the joy and excitement of generosity is because he is eager to continue to provide for us above and beyond what we need so that we can continue to enter into this this joy of generosity one as you're talking about churches stepping into this one particular way throughout our history 
that we've seen this at, at Covenant Fellowship, where I serve, is um, is in the realm of church planting, where it has God has proven himself faithful in this. And this is something that I don't understand. And it's it's crazy. We, we love planting churches. We regularly send out large groups of people. But here's the thing. I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, John, but we, um, we've planted a good number of churches. Whenever we send out a church planting team, our, our, the, our attendance and, and membership at Covenant Fellowship over the years, you know, the past 15 years that I've been here has generally been the same, has generally stayed steady. But we, we plant churches and it has I believe without exception been the case that in the year following that we send out a church plant, the the numbers and attendance go right back to where they were. So it's, <laughs> there's no explanation for this. I, at one point we sent out uh, like a, 130 people on a church plant. And so our plans are, okay, this is good. This may, you know, have this effect of the next five years. And then the next year we're right back up to sort of, and then it's just steady there. And we've seen that as we send out and it doesn't continue to, but I, I'm fully convinced that in the, you know, God invites us to, 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 uh, to, to test him in this area. He's eager to show yeah. his faithfulness. And I do. I never want to presume upon the Lord, but part of me does feel like, I think if we send out a church plant with like 300 people next year, that in the following year, 300 people would join, <laughs> would join the churches because God is, uh, he has proven so faithful. And, and when he proves himself, and each one of us individually can look back over our own lives, right? And see those times, that God has led us into generosity. And we remember the excitement of that. And we remember how God provided for our needs and did abundantly more than we could have asked. That's how we as churches and individuals want to be living our lives. That sense of a radical faith that doesn't grow complacent, that's trusting in God. What that looks like has to do with how we approach this whole area of of giving. Yes, I agree. Amen. I mean, may may we be generous churches, especially as we uh, we've talked repeatedly. We we in the providence of God, we enter into our second and third generation. One danger that I know you and I agree about is that in any move of the Lord, where he he founds something, he establishes something, he's doing a, a unique work, um, you know, in his broader kingdom, it, there's the danger that that you can become complacent because you're, so to speak, and to use the Old Testament language, you're living in houses you didn't build, you're benefiting mm-hmm. from fields you didn't plow. And that's my burden for Sovereign Grace Churches and younger leaders like us. In the providence of the Lord, we came into a, a denomination, a family of churches that had already been founded. And so obviously there's a number of things that are established. There's churches established. People actually have buildings now. Uh, 20 years ago, that you know <laughs> that wasn't always the case 30 or 40 years ago when we were founded. We're coming into established institutions and so forth. And the danger is that we become less sacrificial, less faith-filled, less generous. Because, yeah. so to speak, we have things to lose. And mm. I would want to call second generation, third generation guys, don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. That, that, that would not honor the founding generation of sovereign grace if we were to become complacent because we, we're like, mm. look, all we care about is maintaining. We, we wouldn't want to lose money. We wouldn't want to lose people. We wouldn't want to lose in this idol of maintaining what we have rather than saying, no, we're, we're going to give. One of my one of my favorite um, 
and I'll end with this anecdote, but one of my favorite moments um, had to do with Tommy Hill, who's been the director of finance for Sovereign Grace for years and years. And when I was about to be planting the church I, I currently uh, serve uh, here in Austin, uh, it, you know, it was a season where Sovereign Grace had had some losses, significant losses. So they were kind of, there was a loss of money taking place denominationally and so forth. And significant budget cuts were having to be made at a denominational level. And this is all happening. And obviously for director of finance, that's not a happy time. You're, you're very aware of those losses and how do we come up with this different money we need? And there was at least on the table, the possibility of, well, do we still fund the church plant grants that we historically have given to launch new churches in Sovereign Grace. And I remember Tommy, Tommy just characteristic, joyful, full faith, uh, just said, look, no, no, no. Let, if, if we're going to go down, we're going down planting churches, man. We're going to plant churches. And I remember realizing <laughs> we received that grant from Sovereign Grace and thinking, this is insane. This family of churches is sending this money, knowing that th mm -hmm. there's a loss and there's cuts and there's things that are having to remove. They're just saying, no, we're, we're planting churches. Here's, here's this grant. We want to be generous with you. It wasn't trimmed back. It was the same kind of grant. If anything, mm -hmm. I think they, they increased it to serve a particular need we had. So I, I, I would just affirm mm -hmm. what you were saying, that we, we want this to be true of us that we are generous, that we are looking at what we have and saying, how can we live with less? We, we want to follow George Mueller's example of looking to live with less and to give more as we grow in maturity. Yes. Rather than the reverse. More generous yes, rather than less generous. Um, so may that be true of our family of churches. Well, if you're a pastor and you listen to this, Jared mm -hmm. and I are grateful for you, grateful to be partnered with you. May we build generous churches because of our generous God. And we will see you next time.